Hey, I'm Lynn Rogala. And I'm Ali Diliberto, and we are coming to you from the ladies' room. So we can talk about removing stupid, frustrating, and toxic shit from the world in a way that's not prim enough for the dinner table. Okay, welcome back to the ladies' room. Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm in the stall. Yes, next to each other, talking under. Do you talk under or over? It depends. Sometimes I'm just sitting on the counter shooting this shit with you. Yeah, that's true. I was um, talking. I've, I've had this conversation with multiple men in my life where when you tell them that women talk to each other in the bathroom, they're absolutely horrified. Like they can't, they're not even just like, that's a little bit, I don't know. They're just like, does not compute. And then I expand. I'm like, yeah, if, if you're in like a bar or something, even not a bar, but even an airport or whatever, but usually people are more friendly in the bars. If there's an interesting conversation of women you don't know happening outside, women in the stall will join in. And they're like, oh, yeah, what? for sure. What? <laughs> like you would talk to somebody you don't even know in the bathroom? Like, yes, totally. And we also have, um, where I used to work, we had someone who was transitioning. And when she started using the ladies' room and she was like, all, you know, KJ or whatever, like, listen, you need to talk to us in here. That's how this goes down. <laughs> you, <don't get> to, <laughs> you know, you got to come to the sisterhood. And it was funny because she was also trying on clothes one time and we were like giving her all these compliments and stuff in the bathroom. And you could tell she was a little bit like, I like this, but I didn't know this was a thing. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the ladies room. <laughs> you have a whole crash course. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of like, that's why we called this from the ladies room because it's traditionally the safe space for women. Yeah. And you can talk about anything, however you want without yeah any repercussions. Yeah. And, um, at a lot of, uh, healthcare providers, like at my OBGYN, um, in the ladies room, they have information about domestic violence. A lot of bars have that too. And like, if you're being trafficked and call, like it really is our traditional safe space. Um, yeah, which, you know, is, is why the conversations are so whatever they are in here. <laughs> Eclectic. Yes. Well, no, no. I mean, um, like bold or whatever you want to, whatever the word is like no holds barred. Like, so we can talk about stupid, frustrating and toxic shit in the world in a way that's not prim enough for the dinner table. Like I say on the intro. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I wonder okay. too, if this is part of the reason that John doesn't ever let fat baby in the bathroom with him, because I can never understand, like, the cat wants to go in the bathroom. If you shut the door, that's what he wants. So he stands outside and cries. And then John, like, John doesn't even like if I'm like, where are you? And he's in the bathroom. Like, he, I have to go find him because he's not answering any questions if he's in the bathroom. <laughs> that's really funny. I am in a soundproof chamber. <laughs> not really, but. <laughs> Don't tell him. <laughs> You know, um, when we were, when we were building our house in Maryland, um, the builder told us that there's a special kind of fan for powder rooms. That's extra loud. He's like some, we, I built a house for this one woman and she's like, I want a softer fan in the, in the powder room. He's like, you don't really. And he tried to explain it to her. And he said, they call it the fart fan because the the powder room is in, you know, more, usually more in the living space. It's a little less private. So the fan in there is super loud. Yeah, I, I think that's fantastic. Isn't that funny? The fart fan. Right. You don't really want to hear what you're doing in there. Yeah, right. And, and you don't want anyone to hear what you're doing in there. 
Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, I'm glad we've covered a few bathroom items. Well, I mean, yeah, it is the ladies room and, and that is part of the spirit of the ladies room is in this safe space where women are, they really do kind of let it all hang out. No pun intended. Like not, we're not walking around naked in there. <laughs> I mean, sometimes that happens. But not usually in a public ladies room. I mean, I can't think of how many times like at a convention or at something like we've been changing in the public restroom. It's true. It's true. Very true. Well. Okay. So we weren't going to do two episodes about LuLaRoe, but after actually technically about the LuLaRoe documentary, um, but after we listened to the first one or after we did the first one, we realized there was a lot that we didn't say. So we wanted to just kind of mop up some of that and just see. So very organic conversation about, Hey, I forgot to tell you the last time we talked, I forgot to tell you this thing, which is also very (laughs) um, indicative of our conversations. Yes. And in all fairness, it has been a week and I'm going to have to retrieve these things from now the nether regions of my brain. So I know, right? We'll see how it goes between then and now. If everything goes awry, then Lynn will just tell stories and entertain us. I know I could tell the one story I told you, um, which is uh, that I was, um, well, I don't want to cause a whole drama, but I was in the ER this morning. I'm fine, but I had to go in for it. And the, um, I could hear the nurse talking to the person next door and she was just <laughs> telling a story. This isn't his private medical information. She was just telling a story. And she said, yeah, when we admit people to the hospital, we have to go through their personal effects to make sure they're not bringing anything in that they're not allowed to have. And she said, the last guy we admitted had a bag of meat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like okay and presumably raw meat she didn't I mean but even if it was lunch meat still it still wouldn't be probably great after a couple hours sitting right the way she said it the way she was like and the the, I got the impression that it was like a bag of raw meat uncooked meat based on where the conversation went because the guy also said tubes of meat right I was picturing like packages of ground beef but um because the guy told her, he said, oh man, one time I accidentally forgot my groceries, one of my grocery bags in the car in Tucson in the summer and it was raw meat. Oh. So I assume it was raw because of the way, but I thought that is so funny. Like I'm going to the ER and it's one thing if you're rushing to the ER and it's in your car, it can't help it. But he right, brought it but in. you actually it's brought so it inside. Weird. Right. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, it is so Tucson. So maybe he's trained. Don't leave the meat in the car. Yeah. It's like, um on Parks and Rec, the show Parks and Rec, where the one guy who's like a big survivalist and everything, he escapes from his job because his ex-wife comes and he tells the woman, like his assistant, he's like, go into my desk drawer. There is two pounds of ground chuck. Remove it or it will begin to smell. And then he like grabs his go bag and runs out. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right. That's yeah. Fantastic. Okay. So back on topic. Just um, in case anybody needed any proof that we could just have Lynn tell us stories and it would be fine. <laughs> okay, that, I'll, I'll, I'll lean into our topic since it was kind of about my thoughts about what you were saying. So I had said that was a couple of things that I really wanted to talk about were somebody who reminded me of you and then all, not in LuLaRoe. And then, Thank clarify, And also like m- how my experience of the documentary was different having talked to you first. So I'm going to start with the, that second thing. Yeah. So when I you mentioned that and we didn't talk about it at all. I know. Plus, I mean, we, I love to talk about how awesome you are. So here we go. 
Um, I noticed while I was watching the documentary that a lot of the things you really picked up on would have just probably gone right past me and I would have missed like, oh wait, that's like really salient or really juicy information that probably would have just like blown by. And I thought that was really interesting because I do know from all of our years of friendship that you just pick up and collect information, but you can, I mean, there were things that just like you heard in one part that you connected to something that came way later and like the way you could tie all those little threads together, I think was really interesting in how you were listening to it and probably what you picked up on. And then also you discard stupid information, like, like the guy who just hated network marketing, who had nothing to do with LuLaRoe or anything else and was just ranting behind his desk like you just discarded all that like well yeah that guy obviously didn't have anything useful to say but you picked up on all these little threads and I thought that was really I don't know I thought it was, I wish everybody could have heard that stuff before they listened to it I guess listening to well, this give, podcast is kind of like that give an example because we talked like you you said that before but I didn't know what you were talking about So one of the things that you talked about a lot was the culture. So you were talking about how they had this bizarre culture where um, like you kind of had to hide that you were a successful woman and kind of hand your business over to your husband once you're successful in it. Yeah. Yeah. And that was almost like, it wasn't even just that you had to hide your success. It was what don't be more successful than your husband. Well, but yes, and I'm tying another thread together now that you said that, and this is really typical of our conversations too, because I'm now bouncing off something you said that I didn't put together, which is, it wasn't even that they don't want you to be successful as a woman, it's that they have a very weird definition of what that is, and their definition of what that is, is skinny, because they were the one founder was encouraging women to go and get gastric sleeve in Tijuana. Like they were taking van loads of people, allegedly van loads of people down to Tijuana. I don't think there was any, I don't, I don't think there was anyone contradicting that, including the woman who was doing it. The founder was like, I didn't make people go just encourage them (laughs) to go, but like skinny with a certain look because they all look about the same. Um, Does designer handbags and like a happy husband, because she even said, in one of the, someone was saying in one of the trainings, the founder said, um, if you just spend five minutes a day on your knees, your husband will let you buy whatever you want. And she was like, wow, that was really unprofessional. Um, and, and there's some kind of leadership like a, conference or something. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't just like a private phone call or a joke or whatever. It was like on stage with PowerPoints kind of presentation, but that they have this definition of what it is to be a woman who has made it. Um, and you had to look that part. So you would, you would make all the money and then you would kind of pretend your husband did. And then you would look like a kept woman. That's basically what it was. It's like how to make yourself into a kept woman by LuLaRoe. Now that I'm, see, I didn't put it all together even until you said, but I think that's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah. And you were, you were kind of pulling at those threads of like, um, that piece, there was also a piece like where, there, so there's two pieces that I'm thinking of that you talked about, like the mom, the the woman founder, her mom um, had written a book um, about essentially like 
how to make your husband happy, right? Like I can see that right. I can even see it, but man, I would love to, I would love to read that if I had, if I could find it, like it would just be so fascinating. Yeah. But and she, how to and, keep your husband happy, not a book like healthy communication and co-partnership, but more the five minutes on your knees, neat house dress, clean kitchen, kind of keep your husband happy. Right. And inside like her perspective on the Mormon church perspective of it. And like, for, for sure, some of that cultural stuff was like washing through the LuLaRoe story. And so that was really, that part of it was really interesting. And then, oh shoot, I think I forgot the other piece that I wanted to say about what you were saying. Um, I don't know if it matters, but yeah, there was definitely, oh, that like, there was even a conversation that once your husband, like once you like not to have better ideas than your husband, like let him have some of the good ideas. And you're like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I have a marriage where like my husband has enough balls to like, if he has a, if a dumb idea, like he can handle that. His idea was dumb and vice versa. Like we're both not good at everything. Like the pretense of like his ego is so frail. Like you're going to have to really cater to that. Like, and that come. there's a lot of that in the Christian church. Like you and I yeah, for sure. Have both, <laughs> both ranted about that. But it's really interesting when those kinds of things permeate into business culture. And I think, again, like juxtaposed against doTERRA, because I think there are plenty of places where, so doTERRA's founders are Mormon. And there are certainly places, especially in other countries where I've seen the culture clash around like the doTERRA Mormon culture um, and like people who live in those countries that might be like, you know, starting a business that were like Mormon missionaries and stuff. However, like I've seen some of that culture clash, but nothing like what we're talking about. But I've also seen a lot of like the opposite of like the integrity behind like training people how to get out of debt and Mm -hmm. dealing with like actually having a company that's not in debt and handling things with, with all this integrity. And so I mean, it kind of points back to this common theme of like a lot of times religion and business practices and like all these different business models are very neutral, but it's what you do with it and the crazy that gets involved um, that just makes it poisonous. Yeah. And in, in the doTERRA culture, they've actually pushed back very specifically against some of these don't be more successful than your husband um, because Emily Wright, one of the founders has received a lot of personal criticism for being basically the breadwinner in her family. Um, And people have made her feel bad and guilty and criticized her and said bad things about her husband and all kinds of stuff. And that's been extremely painful for her because she's shared, I'm not putting words in her mouth. She's actually shared how painful that's been. And she still has continued to push against it. Like there is no, you know, once you're far enough, they talk about how to get your husband in your business, but it's different. It's more like, how do you make this more of a family affair? Not now that it's successful, how do you hand it over to him and go get your gastric sleeve surgery and your designer shoes? (laughs) Nothing against designer shoes. I love them. (laughs) You do. You love your teeks, but I do that pretense of like, you have to put on a show I, yes. I mean, it, it was just so bizarre and so yucky. Like, I can't imagine. I mean, you and I have both worked in the business world. And I mean, you faced all kinds of things that I've never dealt with around sexual harassment and gender discrimination and things like that. 
and not to say I've never experienced any of that, but not anywhere to the degree that you have. But a lot of it is, um, I can't, I can't even imagine somebody being like, you better dress like this, bring your designer handbag to this business event. Like it's really like awful and yucky. And the fact that that wasn't like a full stop and that they didn't get so much push back against it from the people in their business is really, really fascinating. Yeah. Well, they kind of disheartening. They created an aspirational model, like any business like this, where you're basically trying to get people to come in, whether it be a franchise or network marketing or whatever it is, um, you kind of have to have an aspirational model. So I want to look like the, like, I want to have some of the things that someone else has for my life to work like, like that. Like, yeah. And like this business will get me this certain life and you know, financial freedom is always part of it. More time with your family is often part of it. So like the doTERRA aspirational model is like financial freedom, the ability to give back, reinventing healthcare, taking control. You know, it's all about like, there's a lot of autonomy in it, like autonomy and independence, not yucky independence, but like, like autonomy, because like the, the campaign they have about getting people out of debt isn't called get out of debt. It's called free to give. Right. Um, And so the aspiration is like, you have all your needs taken care of, your family has time and financial freedom, and now you can turn and focus on what's important to you, you know, some kind of nonprofit or movement in the world or whatever, like that's the aspirational model. Um, And like, if you're becoming a stock trader, a stockbroker, the aspirational model is, you know, expensive watches and and private jets and like a high consumption aspiration. Right, same with lawyers, you know, mm-hmm. just yeah. out of law school working and wanting to be partners. Like it's all. Yeah. So I think in LuLaRoe, the aspirational model was very in line and I'm going to speak mostly to white culture in America because I don't know, I can't speak to other cultures. This is mine. Um, this is really good because this is the next place I want to talk about. Yeah. Did I say my joke on here? It's not even a joke. The thing I dreamed, um, I dreamed, I can't remember if I said this on the podcast. I had a dream a couple months ago that someone asked me my race. And in the dream, <laughs> I said, I'm as white as the foam on a pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> so <laughs> like, I'm like, God, that's funny. Even in a dream, like even in my dream, I'm really witty, but um, that is how white I am. right? And so I can only speak to that, but like in white middle-class suburban woman culture, the aspirational model is like, this mom who kind of has all her shit together, thin, beautiful, um, fake eyelashes, you know, long hair. And not that there's anything wrong. I'm not making, I'm not being like, that's so dumb, but there is like, that's the aspirational model, right? Like that's what you're supposed to aspire to. And so LuLaRoe really lined up their business model with the aspirational model that was already there culturally for white women. And that was, I mean, there's a lot of pain in that, right? Because if you have an aspirational model that says like, I wanna have freedom with my time so that I can give back to a cause that's important to me. I can't think of anyone, and again, maybe I have cultural blinders on, but I can't think of anyone who couldn't line themselves up in that model. It's like how stores started having mannequins without heads And like, if you watch a car commercial, you can never really see the driver. It's so Mm -hmm. everyone can visualize themselves in that outfit, that car, 
that vacation, whatever. So a model that doesn't require you to really be a certain person, like I want to be free with, I want to have my needs met and my time free so that I can go after what I'm really passionate about. Anybody can fit in that. Any right. race, gender, right. sexuality. Yeah, because even need- even if your passion is, I want to spend more time with my kids, or I want my husband to be home, or I want, I want to-, to save the whales, I want to grow a garden, Anything. whatever it is. Right. Yeah, sex trafficking, whatever it is. Against, but I was just pointing to, to like even with- if those are very like white, you know, white white women at home kind of ideas, like that's fine. Like have whatever your dreams are. Right. But, but I mean, if they don't, I think, if they're not inclusive, then it's yeah, problematic. And I think anybody, right? Like, so maybe your dream is racial justice. Maybe your dream is to raise children of color out of poverty. Maybe your dream is to go into inner cities and reinvent the schools. Like you don't have to have a white suburban dream to right. see yourself in that aspirational model. But, and I'm just totally like pulling this out of my ass. So I'm willing to be wrong about all of it. Um, but the LuLaRoe aspirational model was like a specific identity in a very weird way. Right. Including like your weight on a scale. Yeah. Right. Like, and, and how you look in your clothes and what size you wear. Versus and all the yeah. stuff. Yeah. I do. Have to yeah. Say I think that's really in their sizing. Yeah. They were pretty inclusive in the sizing of their actual clothing, but um, the pressure on everyone to be, you know, skinny and super white right like success looks like this physically and right yeah yeah. I think it does get um you know like you and I've talked a lot about this because I think those topics get messy fast because you know like I'm a wellness advocate with doTERRA right so like where I do and don't deal with my weight for example or how I eat or what I do and don't nourish like those things all show up in my leadership and in my physical health and like I have a higher expectation of myself than anybody else when I start to look at those things. But I certainly would never tell like another woman, like go to Tijuana and get your stomach stapled because that's the way to be the healthiest version of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really different thing. It is about health too, right? Like there are people who have, who are overweight, who have their labs and their, you know, blood pressure and their, sugar levels and all those things are totally fine, healthy, and normal. And there are people who have gastric bypass, who look skinny, who are like a complete hormonal internal train wreck. And so they were all about like, what does it look like versus what is it? Yeah, that's good. You know, like what's the healthiest version of you is aspirational for anyone. Again, what's the healthiest version of you? And that can include anybody that can include people with chronic diseases and amputations and, you know, all kinds of whatever, um, disabilities, mental illness, like there is a healthiest version of everyone and that can be aspirational for everyone. Yeah, I think that's really well put. And I think it's something that when we start to listen, I mean, you, you and I both love personal development all kinds of resources. Like when you start to take on some of those ideas and start to think and submerge yourself in that culture, like, I think it's really something to line up against. Like, are these, like, how do I fit inside this? Does it resonate with me? Doesn't it? Like, 
if we don't do any looking, then we're not um, adding to the conversation. We're just kind of going along with whatever somebody else said about it. Right. Totally. Okay. And so as you're going and developing oh. your leadership, I just wanted to say, like, as you're going and developing yourself or your leadership, um, it's normal for that to be a process, right? Like you might be, I mean, I can't think of how many things we've been so excited about that now are just part of our life and we don't even think about anymore, or we've discarded along the way. And yeah, all we that's actually, fine. We have talked about sometimes that we have to re-fall in love with oils um, because I just take for granted how well I feel now. <laughs> like when I look back at how sick I used to be all the time and how I'm not sick like that. And my family isn't sick like that. And, you know, we just don't get sick the way we used to. And now yeah. it's become so integrated as part of my life that sometimes I forget like, oh, right. This isn't how most people live. Right. Yeah. That's well put. Okay. So the other thing is there was a lady on the, um, a lady on the uh, documentary and she Mm -hmm. was sitting on the couch and I don't even know what her like title or role or anything was. And they just had some clips of her here and there that, and she said some things that were so interesting and really made me think. And what I one of the things that really, I was like, holy shit is you, there were things that she said that just had me like the fuck you say. (laughs) And I, you do that for me in my life all the time. And I don't think one, I don't think that happens enough in like prim culture, but especially among women, like there's something really powerful when you say, when you or other women say things that, you know, appear obvious, but like obviously not, or we wouldn't be having some of the conversations that we have. And I kind of loved that. And then some of the things she said, I wanted to talk about, but you say things all the time that I'm like, yeah. And then later I'm like, yeah, wait, why, why is that even something that we need to think about? Or I, yeah, no, I don't think like that, but it seems so obvious now that you said it. And it always is kind of like getting a little like electric shock. And I think that assuming thing, I mean, I just guess I'm encouraging people and that look when just because something's super obvious to you doesn't mean it's obvious. Like things need to be said into the conversation with people around us. And I mean, I think that's really important, which is why, you know, like things like talking about civility and talking about, you know, whatever's happening. Like if we don't say them, then nothing lands like, huh. And you do that all the time. Well, thank you. Um, you're welcome I'm like an observationalist if that's a thing yeah <laughs> like but picking out those humor. things where it's like hey why the fuck is this even happening that somebody wrote an article about whether or not it's sinful to wear yoga pants and why are we in that conversation when the real conversation is about the fact that this is even a conversation and right. as women we're getting sucked in. like that's just the first example that comes to mind but those kinds of things where it's like you know, why do we even want to have a conversation about this anymore? Like, why are we still here when we should be over here? Like, I think those are the, like, you don't listen in a way that's purely responsive the way a lot of people do, like you're pulling together all these other threads. And so I like the way you map things out. And the woman who I can't even give her credit because I don't know her name, but um, she did some of that. And there's a couple things she said that I wanted to talk to you about and one was she said that staying home with your kids 
was a very like white female yes. mm-hmm. like thing and I was like the fuck you say <laughs> like and I'm just sitting there thinking like, yeah really and I I mean it seems even kind of dumb to be slapped with that like wait is this cultural because I have been a work from home stay-at-home mom like that was sort of the aspiration before like when I had when I got married and my ex-husband had a one and two-year-old like I quit work even though I made more money and continued to provide a lot of income to the family, like I quit my rather traditional work to be home with my, with the kids. Cause that was something I was super committed to. And yeah. well, there's, I never considered like, Oh, is this a white girl kind of thing? It was really interesting well, to think about it. There's two elements to it. There's two okay. elements to it. One is at some point, again, aspirational, right? Like maybe in the fifties after the war, I don't know. I'm kind of talking dilettante style here. It became (laughs) like a sign of luxury to have mom at home, not working at leisure. Like I, one of my favorite shows is Mad Men and um, (laughs) that housewife, like Betty Draper, um, she not only doesn't work, but she has a full-time nanny housekeeper, but here's the, so that's one side of it. But the other side of it is her full-time nanny housekeeper is a black woman who also has kids. See? So the second side of it is what is the conversation around intersectional feminism, which is white women say, feminists, we want to be able to work. And then women of color go, hold on. We've been working this whole time as your domestics, as your custodian cleaning ladies, as your server people all along. Right? Which and isn't so, the work that is being like those women weren't saying like, oh, I want to go work as a domestic help. No, right. And they were also completely ignoring that there were tons of women already in the workforce whose jobs were being just as devalued um, mm. as like we've talked about the unseen work of women. Although in the case of like the Betty Drapers, like she's basically I don't know what she's doing, um, but uh she's kind of more of like an object, right? And there was a lot of depression and whatever, of course. But um, the conversation of intersectional feminism is what does it mean for women to have equality or whatever it is we're fighting for, whatever term you want to use, um, when a lot of women women of color have been in the workforce all along? Like, it's this idea that like women were stuck at home and then they get into the workforce is just is like the seventies, and now it's being turned around on its head um, of like the way the the new luxury is to um, be able to be stay stay home with your kids, and obviously the true whatever freedom for everyone, all parents, is to make a decision that works for them, right? But it's of also course, and their American. family, yeah. Like it's also pretty American. Like in I think it's Sweden. Um, they basically just assume you're going to put the kid in childcare from like, you have like six months maternity leave. I could be again, talking out my ass. I can't remember Sweden, Norway. It's one of those. Um, And then they just go like right into this very structured, highly high quality, like co-raising childcare. They aren't just, you know, dumping them there to hold them until they come home. It's like what you do. So but I would this, say there are plenty of European and South American countries where that is absolutely not the case. Like that wasn't my experience in Italy at all, even no, though I think. No. Oh, I see. Yeah. It's not only American, but what I'm saying is it's not universal. It's like no, not it's even universally not. white. 
thing. So it, it's interesting because that is two sides of the conversation. Like what's the conversation happening in the white community around moms staying home with their kids? And then what's the community, the conversation happening in the black Hispanic, what I'm not trying to exclude anyone, people of color community around what does feminism mean? What does, what does economic equality mean? Um, right. And that is a big thing that's happening. There's a whole movement called intersectional feminism, which is you can't talk only about the experience of suburban white women, middle-class white women, when you talk about fem- feminism, because their, their situation is not universal. It's very centered in the conversation about feminism, which is why intersectional feminism is a thing. So that's one of the things right. she was kind of pointing to, too, which is like, not only like there's kind of like a get back to when we were able to stay home with our kids. Um, <laughs> but there's a place too where the industrial revolution, like you and I have talked about um, how I want to write a book called the Proverbs 31 wife had servants um, because the proverb. So for those of you who don't know who are listening, there's a passage in Proverbs that lists like a wife of high character. And she is like, and, and it really was written more to make men appreciate women, but now it's held up to like the average white American Christian as like, this is what you should aspire to. And like, she's the shit, right? She's like, she gets up early and she does this and her kids and blah, 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 blah. But um, she has servants. So don't try to do it on your own. Like (laughs) we're expected to do that on their own. I'm like, but she had a whole bunch of servants. It says her servant girls, you know, called her blessed or whatever. So she had like a staff and also she had a bunch of businesses, but they're in our current like post-industrial revolution it's not acknowledged like, well, she was working from home. Like, well, fuck, everybody was working from home in an agricultural <laughs> society, right? Like right. she was a real estate investor. She was a trader. Like she was, she was buying fields and then she was like making cloth and trading it and everything. And, and it gets dismissed again by the white middle-class American church as like, well, she had a home-based business. Like Everybody's business was a home-based business. Like <laughs> she was this really successful businesswoman. So there's kind of this like, short-term memory of like we want to get back to this ideal time when you're able to be home with your kids but that was not back to anything like it was a microcosm of time for a certain people of socioeconomic blah 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 right which of course usually paints the picture of idea the ideal right right just like the That's aspirational not like a shock you know right skinny designer handbag um conspicuous consumption is quote success yeah it is it's really interesting so and so many of those women ended up like bankrupt right so their financial freedom turned into like they never had financial freedom because they were the more successful they got the more consumption they were supposed to display and so many of the people they talked about being not even the people who bought in and couldn't sell any of their stuff, but the people who bought cars, the least, I'm assuming leased cars they couldn't afford, or maybe bought them on who knows what, and giant <laughs> houses that they couldn't maintain, like, they just, there was no financial freedom at all. Right. And I do think, like, a culture, like, we, there's some great quote about how culture trumps everything. Do you remember it? I should look it up and, and say it on the podcast. I think someday. the quote is just, culture trumps everything. <laughs> No, there's some other piece to it. But yeah, I mean, culture really does trump like everything. And it does make me think about like, I mean, the owners of doTERRA 
must have, you know, quite a bit of resources at this point after building, building, you know, a huge company with no debt, but like the, the, um, CEO guy, like he, David Sterling, he still lives in the same house that he's had for like 19 years. Like he didn't change, you know, a lot of things. And that point, so, I mean, a lot of the leaders in the company, you know, drove their same crappy minivans around forever. And there's almost like a desire to make a statement about what really is a value being really different, like what there is to give back. And I think that we all could, I think every American, white American for sure, but most of us living in this culture, like we could afford to challenge some of those ideals. Right. Okay. So the other thing that I wanted to say that was one of her comments was she, so you talked about the end of the last podcast about how the slimy owner guy talked about, you know, like an untapped resource and the power of women, but she, and you loved what he said, but hated that it came out of his mouth. And the lady who I'm talking, referring to endlessly that I don't know her name, like she said something, the way she said it kind of was like, oh yeah, no kidding. And I don't, I never just had never considered that before, but she said there was kind of this perfect storm of things. And one of them was that we have a more educated class of women um, in all of history. Like we have like white women staying, mostly white women staying at home. Um, and I can acknowledge that, but they're more educated than, and whether, I mean, however you took a family, if you have a stay at home parent, you have a hugely educated human being in America staying home with that child in most cases, especially compared to what that would have been 50 or hundred years ago. So it's so interesting to think about that really there is this untapped resource. And I love thinking, I mean, I can certainly see that. And you know, what we've talked about, you and I have talked about this endlessly, but um, like, what a beautiful thing that as we start to evolve as humanity, there might be these pockets of untapped resource that might pull for change and evolution and opportunity in a way that wasn't even possible before. And I just loved that. Yeah, that is great. And it also points to the um, the kind of yucky underbelly of that, which is the, um, the which is why I want to write the Proverbs, Proverbs 31 wife had servants book, which is that now we're expected to do it all, right? Like you're going to run the successful business and you're going to be home with your kids and you're going to be their primary caregiver. And you're going to be at every PTA meeting and blah, blah, blah. And even in LuLaRoe, that was a lie. Like they were talking, and actually in any, any business that tells you that you can make six figures and be PTA mom, mm -mm. at least for a period of time, you can't do that. Like there's a time when you just can't do that. You can't, something has to go. Um, and the women, I don't think it all has to go, but no, no, the PTA is a pretty extreme version of motherhood anyway. Right. That's what, but that's what I'm saying. That's kind of what they were selling. Right. It's like mom's always there and she's also doing whatever. And the women were talking about like a lot of times they were seeing their kids less than before. Like, yeah, that's kind of, of course you started a business and your kids still have this huge advantage, but that's also not a lot how they felt. It's not what they were getting sold. Yeah. It's not what they're getting sold. And I think But like, you know, if I don't look back at myself as a leader or my own experience with other human beings and what there might be to be responsible for, 
it's just that same idea that like the most, the most, um, the best skill to have as a leader is, you know, self-awareness. But I really think that we have to look at the experience of other women. We have to look at like the roots of our culture and business and what there is to communicate or own that might not fit with someone else who might also fit inside our business model and how we look at making things accessible. And that if we want to have an impact, it's never going to be across the board. Like we right. have to have small you pockets have of things that can thrive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you have and to I, choose. I think, and I don't want to open this whole can of worms because we're kind of heading towards ending, but I think another thing is this is also, again, in white culture, I can't speak for everywhere. This is the first generation of women who's been raising their children without an extended family, without a huge community, without, right? Like, I mean, I experienced, I think I would have experienced this even in Maryland, but when I moved, when Riley was born and I knew no one and Eric's mom got a condo here when Riley was, um, can't remember now, like three or four, she's here part of the year and that helped a ton. But this idea, like, that you live next door to grandma or that there's tons of aunties around and all that stuff. Like we have none of that. And yet we're expected to be both simultaneously more involved parents and also do it all on our own. And like, there's a, there's like a stress crisis for women, again, white women, I'm sure it's for women of color too, but I don't want to speak about someone else's experience, but like this expectation, like that song, right. I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan, never make you forget you're a man, make a homemade lunch and Instagram it. <laughs> and like, you know, on and on and on. Right. Like I remember there was a movie. Do you remember the movie, the hand that rocks the cradle? No, I mean, no, of course no, not. Obviously not. Really of course not. Yeah. So it was a long time ago. There was a long, long time ago. And it was a movie about um, a woman. She was pregnant and her, um, her OB like molested her during an an exam and she like told on him and all these other women came forward and then he killed himself. And then his wife became a nanny to the other woman to like get back at her. Oh, oh, she had a myth. The wife, it was like such a dramatic, ridiculous. So the OB's wife. So this was a true story. No, 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 no. Um, The OB's wife had a, uh, I don't even want to say miscarriage because she was hugely pregnant. She delivered stillborn and then she's going to get revenge. So she like pretends to be a nanny goes to the woman that first revealed him and like starts bonding with the baby, nursing the baby, all these different things and like wanting to kill her. It was like just a dumb, dumb, but anyway, there's a line where um, the friend was like a sassy friend. And she says, um, yeah, in this culture, we're expected to have high paying jobs, high paying, successful careers, and still have time for um, homemade lasagna and blowjobs. And her husband goes, yeah, she's not much of a cook. And then they all laugh. But it's funny, but it's also true. And like, they didn't even have kids, the woman saying it. So like, you're supposed to be at all, but all by yourself without any support. So the candy of you can have the successful career and also be Instagram mom is irresistible in that conversation. Yeah. And I think as women, like, I mean, this makes me think so much of so much. I like mostly what I'm thinking as I'm listening to you is like a lot of what Brene Brown talks about around shame and around how we should not listen to leaders who sell us fear and inadequacy and all this stuff. And that's what I'm thinking. Like, I mean, I'm not, I don't happen to be like, you know, the kind of, 
I don't happen to be on social media enough to give two craps what anybody else sells on there. But I, I watch it just wreck women and all the conversations around comparison and all the other stuff. And it is really something for us to, to push against. And I think we should talk more and more about the impact of like, what it, like, what does that mean for us generationally as women and, you know, men too, but as families raising kids, you know, without an extended family network, like it's huge. I mean, you and I just talked about that this morning because I was like, you ate, you drove yourself to the hospital and then you took Riley to school. I'm like, yes, you were fine. But nonetheless, I was like, okay, if anything really bad ever happens, like I would come take care of you. But that's a conversation that like would never have even had to happen 50 years ago. Right. Yeah. Cause like, and I mean, Riley's old enough to be home by herself, but I didn't want to leave her home by herself, but like there would have been someone to call. There would have been, and maybe some of it is because I'm more of a hermit. Like I don't have a million friends and neighbors to call, but still like three o'clock in the morning, that's a pretty close friend. Um, and oh, I was about to say something. Oh, I was going to say about um, even people who don't mean to feed this like perfect mom thing. Um, when Riley was in like first or second grade, there was an aide in her classroom that used to post. We had to pack lunches. There was no school lunch programs. So we had to pack a lunch and she would <laughs> yes, post pictures. She would post pictures of the lunches. And I told her one time what was actually happening. And she's like, oh my gosh, I just wanted to give people ideas because what was happening is it was like tongue in cheek, but like a little bit real that it was a badge of honor. If she posted your lunch on the Facebook page, like, yeah, my lunch made Facebook page. And we <laughs> kind of laughed, like my community of mothers kind of laughed with each other. But the thing is, there was a solemn reality. There was a hook in it. You know, there yeah. was a hook that because like gold star mom, the best yes, lunch gold that came star today mom. was yours. Yes. Yes, yeah. because like the lunch with the Doritos and the corn dog is not making the Facebook page, you know? Right. Um, and so you're lucky I fed my kid at all today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when I talked to the teacher and I wasn't even, I was laughing with her and she's like, oh my gosh, like that's totally not, she was actually trying to do the opposite. Like if you're, if you're having a hard time thinking of ideas for lunches, here's some ideas. Um, right. But yeah, it was just again, more of that unseen work of women because the bar is so high. Um, right. Like, like the well, whole especially because you can compare it flex. to every lunch you can find. On right, Facebook exactly. Now. Right. Yeah. Like this woman packs the greatest lunches ever, but maybe she doesn't, you know, play Legos with her kid like I do, but you're trying to, you got everybody's highlight reel and you're trying to raise yourself up to everyone's best, right? Like yeah. I'm really great at other stuff. I'm really great at some stuff as a mom and other stuff I just don't care about. Or I just don't have the energy for like we talked about. I never made homemade baby food. Fuck that. Um, <laughs> right. And there are some moms who do. They're like, I'm trying this new recipe and they have little cookbooks and stuff. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, especially if they get pleasure out of it and it feels good and that's what they want to do. But if I try to hold myself to her standard and this other woman's standard and this other woman's standard, I'm just guaranteed to feel like a failure all the time. Right. Yeah because you can't be good at everything you say you can't maximize everything and you're always like there's three things which one of them are you gonna let go and every woman should have a little miniature Lynn Rogala on her shoulder when she has children (laughs) saying like which are you gonna let go what they're like what is your what are your three favorite things you always used to say like their friends their media their 
academics, like whatever it was, like the trifecta, you're like, one of those oh. isn't, you can't manage it. Oh, I don't remember. I, cause I was just thinking about like, I have a project management background also. And we talk a lot there about the iron triangle. Um, and the iron triangle is uh, price quality and um, like either price or scope quality and schedule. Like you get to right. pick two. You only get to pick two. The other one just happens based on what you did. So when you apply that at home, like when you're feeding your kids, um, the the sides of the triangle are um, nutrition, cost, and time. So if oh, you yeah, want to feed them a highly nutritious meal for cheap, then your ass is going to be in the kitchen like ten hours a week. You're going to be cutting coupons. And you're going to be going to four different stores. Um, and if you want to save time and still feed them healthy, then your ass is going to be at whole foods spending out the nose. And if you want to be cheap and also time, then you're driving through the McDonald's drive-through and that is reality. You cannot break like the iron triangle is iron and it's a triangle. So whenever you have a triangle, (laughs) once you pick two sides, the third one is just what it is. Yeah. It's so good. And I mean, I can remember so many times that you're like, yeah, no shit. You can't maximize that right now. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, duh. But I mean, we really need to have those conversations with each other because it's not always so easy to see when you're in it because we want to maximize everything. Yeah. I mean, it's just like a mathematical reality. Here's another great example. And I I still tease Eric about this one and I'm not mad about it, but it was just like such a perfect example. So when we moved from Maryland to Arizona, we had a newborn baby, two dogs and three cars. So, and they would ship two cars for us. So we said, okay, um, Eric will drive himself and the dogs from Maryland to Arizona. Then he'll fly back. I went to my sister's house. So it wasn't by myself with the newborn. So then we flew <laughs> back to Maryland and then we flew to Arizona together because there was no way we were going to drive cross country with two dogs and a newborn baby. And a baby. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so he said, you oh, I love this story. Yeah, because it's such a good example of this, right? Because when you you can maximize to a certain point and then it becomes explosively complex. And that's just like algorithmic, mathematically true. So he asked me to plot out his um, route, which I was happy to do. And he's like, I need, we had two big, two big driving factors, which is every hotel had to accept two golden retrievers. Um, (laughs) And I do (laughs) One hotel I found, they said um, there was a 75 pound limit on the dogs. And I called because I didn't want him stuck not being able to bring the dogs. And I called and I said, I see you have a 75 pound limit. My husband's going to be coming with our two Goldens. One of them doesn't like to talk about it. His fighting weight is 75, but he's a little more than that right now. And she's like, That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> he just doesn't like, he's working on it because he was a little overweight. <laughs> anyway, so um, the biggest driving factor was hotels that will accept two large dogs that was huge that like consumed also this was know. before where you could just google it and i mean you could just book it all on the internet like you really had to plot this all out no i i booked it out on the internet it was 2008 it wasn't like the stone it's still not it's not as not detailed as, as it is today yeah and there was no airbnb and all that other crap so i had to find right. hotels was good and make some calls and whatever so that consumed like a huge amount of the complexity and then he's like and i want to drive about 600 miles a day okay great so I have these two factors. And then he said, and also I want there to be a park nearby where I can take the dogs. I go, nope, never going to happen. Like mm-hmm. 600 miles a day from hotel to hotel, that'll take two dogs. 
that is a tractable, solvable problem. Doing that while also finding one nearby a park, that that exploded the amount of time that it would the take. The complexity. Right. Yeah, it would, like, it's funny how that third, sometimes you can squeeze three factors in, but it's funny how that third factor just makes it blow up. Yeah. To the point where I don't know if that would have even been doable. Right. Like, I would have it's been, you know, fun anymore. you have to go through Iowa, even though that's not on the track or whatever. <laughs> um, and then, and, and he wasn't a jerk about it. He's like, oh yeah, I can see why. Like, you're just going to have to walk them wherever the freak you can walk them. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> and uh, then it was fine, but it's easy to list those requirements, but we do it to ourselves so much, right? Like I need to have a great career. I need to play with my daughter 20 hours a week. I need to pack her a perfect, healthy, fresh lunch every single day. Um, that doesn't spend too much. Money. You can't, you literally cannot do it. Right. And we put it on ourselves and what goes is our sanity and our mental health. Right. Yeah, for sure. And if you are, I mean, anyone who's ever wondering to do what degree they're doing it, like insert any crisis and you'll know exactly all the pieces that you're holding together that are too much for any human being by themselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And check your stress level. I mean, it's, that is like, I think one of the number one things we can do for the general mental health, I'm not talking about inherited mental illness and things like that, but just the general mental health of figuring out, oh, you know what? I heard a perfect, perfect way to describe this um, is uh, when you're juggling a lot of balls, you need to figure out which ones are rubber, which ones are clay and which ones are glass um, because it determines which ones you can drop. Because if you're juggling really a ton of balls, yeah, it's so good. I can't remember where I read it. Um, and the, the rubber ones bounce you know, the Instagram lunch, that's a rubber ball for most people, right? And the glass ones shatter. And then the clay ones, um, it was soft clay. So they like fall and get misshapen and you need to address getting them back into a ball shape before you can start juggling them again. So it's not the kind of damage of a glass ball, but it's like, you know, a bit of a, it, it is like a medium priority. And like acknowledging that you will drop some balls you can either decide ahead of time which balls you're going to just leave on the ground like homemade baby food I just left that one right on the ground <laughs> that's not even appealing to me that's not, <laughs> uh, but see the pressure though to be that mom you know who's like grinding the whatever and like uh, but um like DIY mom right yeah um but determining like like what's glass, right? Your health, your family's health. That's a glass ball. You can't drop that one. And yet we treat that one like rubber and we treat like, right. I, like, I, was, so, I was so present today to being in the emergency room for something that probably could have been a doctor's appointment if I had prioritized it a long time ago. And not, maybe not totally this, but it's a good example. Like when I was working full-time and had a child that I was like driving back and forth to school, the idea of taking like two hours off to um, go to the doctor was like, oh, how can I totally manage that? And the reality is that was way more important than whatever stupid meeting I would have had to miss. And yet we miss that, right? We, we, we treat rubber balls like glass and glass balls like rubber. Um, and that's a real problem. Like, like we have a whole generation of women, especially who are just disintegrating mental health and physical health. Yeah, it's true. Okay. I think we're close to wrapping, but since you brought yeah, we up baby to. food, I really yeah. need to tell you this little thing. So um, my first word was Fruit Loop. 
because <laughs> my mom took me to daycare, but she made all my baby fruit. But the daycare provider fed me Fruit Loops. So my very first word was Fruit Loop. So my mom takes me, you know, drops me off and she's like, man, she's really trying to say something. Like, what is it? And the lady's like, oh, she's saying Fruit Loop because Allie, you know, gets Fruit Loops. The second she gets here, my mom's just like, crack her little hippie heart, you know, like, yeah, like purebred child sugar. That would have, um, that would have infuriated me also. Riley didn't have sugar until she was one. Right. Then you're like, ah. but um, this week I was at the grocery store with my mom and they had Fruit Loops with like um, marshmallows, like Lucky Charm marshmallows oh, and gross. Fruit Loops. And I was like, <laughs> this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. So of course I bought them immediately and took them home to my mom. Like, look, mom. And they were terrible. Just, yeah, they just skip them. Yeah, it's not good. They I thought it was going to be glorious, like the best of both worlds, but they're not meant to live together, obviously. No, it's too much. It's like a cake <laughs> made of frosting with frosting on it. It's just like frosting is good, but not that much. Overdoing like, it. We love Costco cake and Costco used to have, um, you could mix and match. So they had like a vanilla cake and you could get like chocolate filling and chocolate frosting. And then they simplified. And so now you can get like white cake with white frosting or chocolate with chocolate filling and chocolate frosting. And both of them are too much. Like the white one, the frosting is so sweet. And then the chocolate mm. one is way too rich, like chocolate cake with a mousse filling with chocolate frosting. It's like too much. It was perfect when they had vanilla cake, chocolate mousse, chocolate frosting. Um, and we used to always joke, like we were craving just one piece of Costco cake, but that's not a thing, right? You have to buy the whole thing. And so right. we used to always joke that we would go buy one, cut a little piece to take home and then just sit in the food court going, do you want a piece of this? Hey, you over there <laughs> having a hot dog. Yeah, you want a piece that. of cake? Do you want a piece of cake? And we wondered, like, what would happen? Would Costco stop us? Like, you know, we're giving out something free that we just bought in the store. So we never did it, but we laughed about it a ton. All right. <laughs> that seems like a good place to stop on silliness rather I think than so. mental disintegration of women. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the fact that we've had to give both of these things any bandwidth is probably points to something. Yeah, it totally does. Well, that's why we're in the ladies' room. It's true. Okay. We'll see you. All right. We'll see you next time. (laughs) I said your line. (gasps) Do it again. I won't interrupt. What? You didn't say my line. I talked over you. Because you you didn't. I said, I'll see you next time. I said, we'll see you next time. And I stopped talking. And you said, see you next time, which seems totally reasonable to me. Oh, I thought I talked over you. And then I was sad. You didn't. All right. Very well. Very well. We'll end it on that. Very well. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to catch us in the ladies room. You can also find Lynn at A Spacious Life on Facebook, Instagram, and in Clubhouse. And find Allie at 5 Billion Entrepreneurs on LinkedIn and Instagram.